Welcome to the Five Books for Catholics podcast, where experts explain their pick of five outstanding books on an aspect of Catholic life, doctrine, or culture. Jacques Maritain, 1882 to 1973, was an influential Catholic neo-scholastic philosopher and multifaceted public intellectual. Raised a Protestant, he became an agnostic. A student of the natural sciences at the Sorbonne, he grew disillusioned with scientism and even entered into a suicide pact with his wife, Raisa, to be carried out if they had not discovered a deeper meaning to life within a year. The lectures of Henri Bergson helped him find some deeper meaning to life and prompted Maritain to study philosophy. In 1906, he and his wife converted to Catholicism. The following year, he discovered St. Thomas and would dedicate the rest of his life to promoting and applying Aquinas' thought. Ambassador of France to the Holy See from 1945 to 1948, he joined the Little Brothers of Jesus in 1970, three years before his death. An influence on the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the Second Vatican Council and the Christian Democratic Movement, he is one of the most important 20th century Catholic thinkers. In this interview, Professor Matthew Menard will take us through his pick of five of Maritain's books. Matthew Menard is a Ruthenian Catholic, husband, father, and a professor of philosophy and moral theology at St. Cyril and Methodius Byzantine Catholic Seminary in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. His academic work has appeared in the journals Nova et Vetera, the American Catholic Philosophical Quarterly, St. Anselm Journal, Lex Naturalis, Downside Review, The Review of Metaphysics, and Maritime Studies, as well as in volumes published by the American Maritime Association through the Catholic University of America Press. He served as author, translator, and editor for volumes published by the Catholic University of America Press, Emmaus Academic, Cluny Media, Ascension Press. He has published academic articles and book chapters related to Maritime and is secretary of the American Maritime Association. For more information on his work, visit philosophicalcatholic.com. So, Matthew, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Father, for having me. Can you tell us about your research in general, and more specifically, what has motivated you to study Maritain and write in it? Sure. <clears throat> so, well, my research in general was actually, uh, dissertation level at least, was 14th century scholasticism and the metaphysics of logic. Uh, some of some of the motivation for that was just the fact that it was uh, underwritten on, so it was easier, less uh, less contestation in the secondary literature. But another reason as well is because because I was interested in the uh, early formation of kind of the Dominican flank of the Thomism. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily call Hervéus Natalis, uh, on whom I did my dissertation, one of the exponents of the the kind of high Thomistic school, but he was a significant voice there early on, and he did voice some positions in the metaphysics of logic that were pretty close to what uh, Jean Poinceau or John of Saint Thomas took, you know, later later on in the Baroque period of scholasticism. And so, strangely, that that fascination with uh, the historical Thomist school came to me actually through Mar- uh, Maritain. It was it was uh, my interaction from the time that I was when I was a Roman Catholic juridically at the time as a seminarian. Uh, I was assigned his degrees of knowledge, which actually converted me to Thomism. Um, and throughout graduate school, when I wrote, I did write my licentiate uh, thesis on the the notion of history, how historicity plays into the knowledge of the natural law as a theme in Maritain's thought. 
And so throughout my licentiate studies and then my doctoral work, um, the whole oeuvre of Marathon was always on my shelf. Um, you know, for my even for my licentiate, I combed through the whole the whole of the corpus kind of a second time after reading everything just to p- take notes. I still have, you know, an abundance of flashcards, so to speak, from from those days. So uh, Marathon became this, uh, you know, really entree to something that was much older than the neo-scholastic period because he was so heavily influenced through uh, Humbert Clary-Sac and others and of course Reginald Garrigou Lagrange um to read Saint you know Saint Thomas's thought through you know especially the the line of thought that that has Cajetan uh, uh, Thomas de Vio Cajetan uh, John of Saint Thomas and the Salamanca Carmelites to a degree less uh but even Charles René Biluar um as you know main lights for for doing one's Thomism, and so i just became you know interested in his whole circle you know almost as a kind of just organic growth of that world so my continued work has been as a translator i've done lots of stuff uh by the the french dominicans that are in his circle a uh, number of volumes by reginald garrigou lagrange actually um but also um jean harvey nicola who was very close to maritain uh michel labordette um Ambroise Gardet, um, who was, you know, half generation older than Garrigou, but uh, for whom Maritain had a lot of uh, respect as well. So I just, in the midst of this era of the church, have found myself, you know, strangely as a Byzantine Catholic, still doing all this Latin stuff, um, but trying to read thinkers who are often thought, you know, you you spoke of his influence on the Second Vatican Council, folks who are thought as thought of as being sort of part of the the mid-century turn toward themes in the Catholic world that then the the post-conciliar church took up. So Maritain is often thought of as that, and yet he really is quite harmoniously connected to the past. And we live in an era of the church with a lot of squabbling, and I like to try to get people to talk to each other. So in my own soul, Maritain has reached back, you know, all the way back into the 14th century in many ways, uh, in my thought, let alone to St. Thomas. And so, you know, sort of looking at the ongoing dialogue of, of thinkers that way has always been quite important for me for my conception of Thomism, and I got it from him from the first moments of me being really a Thomist. Now, I would never recommend to anyone that you start with the degrees of knowledge unless you really unless unless you're sure that God's going to move you in that direction. Um, it was by accident. It's a very difficult book. Um, I joke that I, I probably understood five percent of it at the time. I refused to look at the paper I wrote on it uh, for that epistemology class because it was probably so sophomoric. Um, but it was still very important because you see in that book kind of the full swath of how he engaged with the sciences. Um, but then also too, you know, the main themes of uh, Thomistic epistemology and uh, metaphysics. And then also too, though, the debates over mysticism in St. John of the Cross and, you know, the, the kind of epistemology that's necessary for discussing mystical experience. Uh, and you see it all in one big clip. The only thing that's really missing is the political side of Maritain maybe some of the aesthetics as well, but it's, you know, probably operative in his long footnotes. It's a great book for that, but it's also very difficult. So that's, you know, just a little bit about myself that way. In your view, why should we read Maritain? Yeah, so I think that we all need <clears throat> a teachers. And, uh, you know, so if you're a tome, if you're a Thomist or a Westerner who reads St. Thomas Aquinas, you should read someone who is, who is, been more profoundly engaged with St. Thomas than probably you've been. And I say that to myself. Um, he was, I mean, dedicated uh, in a way, dedicated his life to the to the reading of St. Thomas and his school 
in the modern world. You learn from Maritain, not merely Thomism, but you learn how to be an honest philosopher, how to see a philosopher work. Sometimes it's like whenever you're a, a young apprentice uh, learning a craft, you know, you, you'll kind of have the, the lowliest of jobs, sweeping things up and maybe, you know, pounding a couple of nails in. But of course, the purpose is that you're watching people go about their craft. And so just watching someone do their craft teaches you what the, the philosophical habitus is like. Uh, but, you know, also as well, I think one of the maybe this is the most important thing, actually, one of the risks that most scholastically inflected Catholics have or suffer from is a kind of um, historicism or a kind of, um, you know, repetition of the past. And I, I think that seeing a philosopher like Maritain or even his his protege Yves Simone be a legitimate thinker is is actually probably the most important uh, of all aspects of his his work. And he's a philosopher across all bounds in aesthetics, in morals, in politics, in epistemology, in metaphysics, etc. And I, I just think learning that lesson prevents a kind of uh, backward looking Thomism, a sort of, in the words of John Dealey, uh, rearview mirror Thomism. Um, that really is the risk of, I think, almost any scholastically inflected thinker. Also, too, he keys you in on the intellectual scene of Catholicism from the 30s to the 60s in really uh, interesting ways. And one of the books that we'll talk about today really will will show that, um, you know, very interesting sort of open minded man still looking at the the many travails of the church around the time of the Second Vatican Council. And it shatters narratives. It's neither traditionalist, nor is it um, nor is it, um, you know, just Roman Thomistic. You know, it, it it's this, you know, honest look by a layman at what's going on at the time. So, yeah. You've mentioned, or you've hinted at how Maritain faced criticism from other Catholic intellectuals. The great French historian of medieval philosophy, Etienne Chausson, believed that he became increasingly eclectic. Charles de Conic believed that his personalist political philosophy was over, overly individualist and part of the traditional conception of the common good. How would you defend Maritain from criticism such as these? Yeah, uh, in the the... The the normal so the the normal the the big place of critiquing Maritain is on questions political. Some of them are in the the line of the Laval school of Charles de Conic, um, and some are you know more broadly um, in the line of of certain theologians. I mean even uh, Garrigou Lagrange was consulted on this in the 50s, as as was Monsignor Fenton, and there was Jules uh, Jules de Mainville or Mineville uh, in in South America. And I apologize that something just made a sound there um, that Maritain does not really make a, a sufficient amount of uh, room for the Christianization of the civic order itself. You know, how does the, the indirect authority of the church really live itself out in the civic order? I think one of the books we'll talk about today actually shows that at least early in his career, he was he was quite um, uh, well apprised of the indirect authority of the church in civic matters. And, you know, I guess, truth be told, he was on the spectrum of the more democratically in, inflected thinkers of that period. Others like Journet were also in in that line, uh, especially give, given the question of, you know, what we now talk about it in terms of integralism. Um, and I think that, you know, um, even Garrigou 
thought that Maritain could get out of condemnation if he just wrote the right article that said how to explain his his thought in view of the papal uh, magisterium on on the uh, subordination of state to the church. On the common good issue, I, I don't know. I'm a bit more of the opinion of um, Yves Simone whenever he wrote in the Review of Politics that Charles de Connick's book really doesn't even address Maritain. Um, and that, you know, as a position on St. Thomas's thought on the common good, it's it's pretty much in the same line as what Maritain himself uh, thought, to be honest. Um, but that the book is kind of useless for critiquing Maritain. And I don't like to be that dismissive, but I do think that Simone was keying into something because nowhere in that book does Charles de Connick actually directly um, cite even Maritain. Um, and, you know, Maritain was he was. A bit of a naive child of, you know, more uh, left focused uh, French thinkers. He was, I think he has some family connection to Ernst Renan um, and he never lost that. And so from what I understand, for instance, he um, he there's some um, verbiage about personalism and communitarianism that he used in the 40s that Emmanuel Mounier took up and uh Later on, Maritain actually said, you know, uh, he didn't like the direction that it was even used, but he kind of naively um, was comfortable with a more left facing politic without self-criticism on it. So I, truth be told, I actually wished that he he just had written a couple of the articles that Gary wished that he would have written um, because it would have clarified, I think, his own thought even regarding himself. He started out as a member of L'Action Française. On, somewhat on the peripheries, but if it hadn't been for Lection Francaise, the conservative um, French movement, um, you know, prior to their condom, their condemnation in the 20s, if it hadn't been for them, some of his first works would have been published, um, some of the sponsorship by folks there. Uh, and in, in his work on the primacy of the spiritual or the things that are not Caesar's, um, you can still see that he has um, – pretty much an awareness of the importance of kind of classical ecclesiology on the relationship of church and state. And he did shift World War II, shifted his mind and other things. And I, I wish he could sort of have harmonized the two sides of his mind. Gilson and Maritain were made to, to never understand each other in the end, because Gilson, you know, just as much one could critique in his direction that he's a historicist, right? He's, he's very much a historian of thought. And his idea of Thomism is, is to know St. Thomas's thought, and that's it. Um, this is what some of my People in my tribe of Thomism sometimes get vexed with Gilson concerning um, Mar Maritain. You know, he does have if you read his late, late life works in his 80s. He he feels like he's he's a bit more doing his own Maritainism in within Thomism. Um, but I, I don't know. He's I think they had different ideas of what Thomism was to begin with. Uh, and that, that that would just set them to, to be at a sort of opposition. Only thing I can say is that Maritain was always. Um, at least publicly, I think, kinder towards Gilson that Gilson occasionally would take swipes like this. He also was kind late in life. We have to be very balanced there. Um, but it's two very different views of Thomism. And I I just have I have strong feelings on this. And uh, the semiotician John Dealey influenced me. He, he's kind of an anti-Gilsonian. And in my more petulant, you know, more youthful days, seven, eight years ago, I I was a bit anti-Gilsonian, even though I get, had gained so much from him. But it was just it was fated to happen that someone who is a historian and a, you know, medievalist philosopher, both historian and philosopher like Gilson, 
is going to look at Maritain, who basically thinks of Thomism as, you know, I'm reared in a certain tradition, but I'm thinking today, and I'm going to call it Thomism as well. They're just going to critique each other. The first book you've chosen in Maritain is The Angelic Doctor, The Life and Thought of St. Thomas. This was originally published in 1929. Since then, of course, more authoritative biographies of St. Thomas have appeared, such as Weishaupt's and Jean-Pierre Trohel's. Is Maritain's book worth reading to understand his take on St. Thomas and the place of Thomism in his own thought then? Yeah, and I was flipping through the, the text, of course, to prepare. It's been a while since since I had read it. Of course, one should always remember, you know, the age of it. You know, when you see the the, the tables of St. Thomas's works, I had to I had to think I just recently finished um, working on the, the third edition of Jean-Pierre Tourelle's, um biography coming out and you know I, I was helping update the edits on it and i couldn't help but think okay some of this is out of um out of date but the book still stands as a really good testament to what when people talk about what neoscholasticism looked like in, at the turn of the century there are all kinds of tales that people tell about it well here you're seeing a kind of first person sort of account yes somewhat historical in the first chapter but then you know an account of okay well what is saint thomas for our own day um and so, you know, it's a reflection by a man who had already been writing quite a bit in the in the Thomist uh, tradition. And, you know, you get a you do get a sense for some of the. Um, um, what do we say? Triumphalism of the era. Uh, this is something I, I notice a little bit more sometimes looking for the Byzantine East. When you look back now on this, you realize how triumphalistic some of these scholastics were. Um, but also also as well, um, you know, just a. I don't know, a way of getting into his mind of what he thinks Thomism is. So if you're thinking of like, who is Maritain in general, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't merely look back to the 13th century of Thomas, but you see, you know, sort of his comments on the history of the reception of uh, St. Thomas by various popes, and then, you know, the school, and then even the the thought of how Thomism relates, you know, its various branches relate to each other, you know, Thomism as theology, Thomism as philosophy, Thomism in relationship to the modern sciences, which is such a dear topic to him. All of that comes up just in passing because he can't help himself when he's in a more first person mood to start meandering a bit into his own his own reception and his own thought. I mean, his own sort of there is a kind of maritime spiel. It doesn't repeat, but it's you recognize it, that he's being himself as well. So you see some of those themes come out, but you you also see it within the context of a kind of quasi biographical um you know, layout of St. Thomas. So it gives you a feel for the, the church of that era, which I think is very important today, uh, just because, uh, you know, we're, we're still in the aftermath of and kind of self-questioning of the Second Vatican Council. The whole 20th century still weighs on us today. So it's good to know what, what the ecclesial mind of the Latin church was like in one of its main exponents of the time. It also gives you an entree, of course, into St. Thomas, that's fine, and a particular reading of St. Thomas, and then also Maritain's own thought. Right. That that I think that what he says here holds through the whole of his career, no matter how sort of a little bit weird he gets later on. He is rather um, consistent um, throughout. So it does give you a sense for his Thomism, um, even where he, he starts engaging more in, in contemporary political matters and other things. And it said that behind every great man, there's a great woman. Marathon's case, it is his wife, Raisa. She was an intellectual in her own right. She introduced her husband to the writers of St. Thomas and is his co-author in the next book you've picked, Prayer and Intelligence. They describe the work as an attempt to disentangle a state 
as clearly as possible in the spirit of Christian tradition out of St. Thomas, the main directions which seem suitable to the spiritual life of persons living the living in the world and occupied in intellectual pursuits. Presumably, you've chosen this work to showcase, showcase Maritain's spirituality. Does the guidance that he and Raisa give still hold up today? Yeah, it's a lovely little book that was just republished, um, I think, by Clooney Press. So I tried to pick things that one could get nowadays. Um, and so, you know, <clears throat> both of both of them, I mean, they they were Josephite uh, married and they had a they, early on. They were Benedictine oblates. They had a very strict orarium for a number of years there at the beginning of their their life. And they always thought of themselves as a little household. That, that had a, a certain kind of quasi-monastic life. I mean, even when they became more um, engaged in things of the world. And, and uh, Vera Usmanov, uh, Raisa's sister, lived with them as well. And they were just sort of this little community that lived on both sides of the Atlantic together. Um, and I think that this text, and I did, I picked it exactly for the the reason of showcasing the, the particular spiritual theology that he got. I mean, he got it from Gary Lagrange. Uh, in particular. So all of the the mysticism of the the Carmelite line that was sort of in the vogue and being debated um, at that time was really important to both of the the Maritans. Um, and this is just it's just a, a lovely little 70 page book. I mean, my my edition, no, my edition's 56 pages um, where he just goes through, you know, basically what would be, you know, at much uh, Fusius, uh, you know, much more broadly uh, much, you know, at much greater length in something like the three ages of the of the Christian of the spiritual life or the love of God, the cross of Jesus or something like that. And uh, Gary Lagrange, the themes of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, prayer and uh, and uh, infused wisdom, um, how to think philosophically um, and yet um, subordinate your your being a, a person of the mind to theology and the life of faith it's all kind of in there in seed in just these little tiny chapters very accessible <clears throat> you know it takes a certain sort of erudition it's written for it's written for intellectuals but i mean it's accessible um and it's it's quite meditative in its um in its tone so it gives you an, an entree then into maybe if you're more interested in technical matters concerning his his um you know, thought spiritually, then you can kind of turn to, you know, the the works in the second half of the degrees of knowledge or or some of his other essays. And again, it's a constant line. This gen the general spiritual physiognomy of of the Maritans remains about the same wherever they're at. Um, you know, people change, people adapt. You know, but the the sort of essence of, of his spirituality lasts all the way into his days when he's writing as, a, as an old man and as a brother of Je uh, a member of the brothers of Jesus, little brothers. Thank you for listening. To read or listen to the rest of this interview or to support this podcast, visit the website fivebooksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast on the platform of your choice so that more people can discover it and give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, God bless.